Hello, welcome to At The Source, a podcast full of food stories. I'm your host, Alex Ryder, and today I'm talking to the woman responsible for the tastiest and often fanciest crackers on your cheese board. Wendy Wilson-Bett is a co-founder of Peter's Yard Swedish-inspired crisp breads. Having walked away from a life in the corporate world with the desire to start something different, Wendy and her business partner Ian met bakery owner Peter Jungquist whilst on a research trip to Sweden and fell in love with his sourdough crisp breads. Some conversations later and Peter's Yard was born here in the UK. Now it's a well-loved brand with a string of awards under its belt and it's stocked in all the fanciest places, including Selfridges, Fortnum and Masons and even in Michelin-starred restaurants and hotels. Of course, for the rest of us, you can find them in a lot of major supermarkets, but also in over 2,000 independent delis and shops around the UK. In this episode, Wendy and I talk about the importance of fika, knowing that what you put into a business directly impacts what comes out, and memories of driving around London with a car filled to the rafters with crackers. Welcome, Wendy. Wow, what a fab story. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. You've had some really interesting people on this programme, so very, very happy to be part of it. No, it's fantastic. And actually, it's quite funny, isn't it? Because we've been trying to get this this uh, into the diary for so long now that um, I'm glad we finally managed to catch up with each other. Yeah, same here. So I'm going to dive straight in with my first question and ask, how did you decide to leave a high level and presumably quite high stress role in the commercial world to do something that was just so different? Can you tell me a little bit about that? whole time that, that kind of led up to when you began Peter's Yard? Yes, of course. Um, it actually started. So the job I did prior to this was the job that I joined straight from university. So I left um, Birmingham University and became a marketing graduate at Cadbury Schweppes in Bourneville. And I remember I didn't join the pension scheme because I didn't think I'd be there very long. And I said that although I loved the brands that I'd be working on, I just wanted to learn. So I would stay until I stopped learning. And that was 22 years later. So um, I was really lucky. I worked on some fantastic brands. My first brand was Curly Whirly. Oh, wow. Which lots of people remember. <laughs> so that's a kind of thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but also there's just some great experience. I you know, made uh, with the agency one of the sort of famous flake ads and Ran Cadbury World was a little bit like being Willy Wonka. And I just continued to get some great experience in management, moved into international roles, did a lot of traveling around the world. And yes, it was a high stress job, but I really genuinely learned so much um, that I loved it. Um, And it only really sort of stopped being somewhere that I wanted to continue to work when I got to a level which was kind of the sort of top 300. It was called the Global Leadership Team. And at that point, if you wanted to continue your career, really there was an expectation that you would move around the world. And I'd just completed a really exciting role, uh, rolling out a kind of uh, commercial capability program, which involved traveling pretty much every continent. But once that was done, the next role was going to be away from the UK. We'd built a house here in Shropshire. My son was just starting secondary school. And I'd just seen a lot of colleagues move their families and kids around the world, being in one place for a couple of years and then having to move to another place. And I just didn't want to do that. The business had changed quite a bit as well in the 22 years I was there. 
and I'd always wanted to do something myself. So that really came just a fortuitous opportunity, really, which is if I didn't want to travel or move the whole family to either New Zealand or Switzerland or America, then I could take redundancy and do my own thing. So it actually became quite an easy choice, really. Yes, it was tough leaving a lot of you know, valued colleagues and friends, but it sort of felt a bit like a no-brainer in the end. It's quite an exciting opportunity to be able to take the redundancy and then kind of have a look around and see what, what might be next. Did you know what you wanted to do? Did you know that it was going to be something around food or were you really open-minded and just thought, I want my own thing and I don't know what that looks like yet? Yeah, really, I didn't know for sure. Once you've become part of such a massive company, the one thing I was really clear about was it became less easy. Ironically, the more sort of senior I got, it became less easy to feel I could really say I'd made a difference. There's so many people involved in every decision. So what I was clear about was I wanted to do something where it was a success or not based a lot on what I did. And that's really what took me to thinking about should I run a consultancy? Uh, at one point, I love interior design. And at one point, I thought about importing terracotta pots from Spain, uh, where I bought back loads from sort of family holidays and things. But in the end, there was always something at the back of my mind, which was a love of brands and a love of food. So in the end, um, the decision was sort of made for me in some ways, because a colleague Ian Tenkor, who was also at Cabbage Reps, had always wanted to run his own business as well. And we'd had many conversations about that over coffee in the London office. And he had always had this vision of wanting to introduce Swedish bakery products to the UK. That came from a love of Sweden, a love of Swedish bakeries and a love of his Swedish wife. So he'd lived in Sweden and fallen in love with the fabulous cakes and bread that you can get there. So he was in a similar situation to me and decided that he wanted to run his own business, mm. knew that I was taking some time out to work out what to do. And he said, would I help him on a road trip around Scandinavian bakeries and Norway and Sweden, which was fabulous, if you can imagine. It was just beautiful cities, beautiful bakeries, lots of opportunities for what you may have heard or not have heard called fika, which is uh, having a, a sit down, a break, a conversation with a coffee and something to eat, which is a lovely culture in Sweden. And over the course of what was about a week of traveling, um, I really began to just be very attracted to the idea of uh, the concept of a Swedish bakery cafe in the UK. Sounds wonderful. What a way to to be inspired as well by actually being on this road trip and experiencing these things firsthand. And of course, your business partner, Ian, having a Swedish wife, just that perfect connection. Thinking about it, I don't know that there is a huge awareness of Fika and Swedish bakeries and Swedish cakes and biscuits in the UK. So perhaps by bringing Peter's Yard here, you were almost starting something that wasn't particularly well known. Did it feel like that was the case? Yes. I mean, in fact, in the course of the story, uh, obviously we met Peter, Peter Unquist, who had already set up a Swedish bakery cafe in Edinburgh. Um, but it was very new. We didn't know that Peter had done that. So we did 
believe we were going to bring something that was really quite new and different to the UK. Um, I think now, you know, that was, we're going back now 12 years ago. And obviously, coffee shops and nice bakeries and things have grown massively over that time period. Uh, But certainly that concept of pausing, taking a moment out with colleagues or friends or family to stop and reflect and take some time, that's actually become something very important to us and to the brand. And I think it was Peter who really introduced us to that as a concept as well, working both in coffee shop context, but also in the context of making really good bread, really good bakery products and really good crisp bread. Can you tell me a little bit about Peter? So uh, when you first met him and how his story inspired you? Yeah. So again, we were in Sweden. We had met um, a really fabulous, talented baker. Uh, We had shared with him the idea of introducing Swedish bakery cafes to the UK. And that's when he said, well, do you know that somebody's already done it? Peter Lundqvist, who had a bakery in Sweden and uh, was importing some of those products made in Sweden over to Edinburgh. We explained we didn't know um, that that was actually happening. And he introduced us to Peter. And Peter is a really bright serial entrepreneur, loves uh, setting up new businesses, very successful at it. He also has a real love of interior design and furniture. So one of his great friends is an architect and furniture designer, and he used Norgarvel furniture in his bakery cafes and just a beautiful Scandinavian sort of paired back architectural style that lends itself to letting all of the produce do the talking. Um, So we were introduced to Peter. We went to his absolutely lovely, delightful home in southern Sweden, uh, where there is a yard and the gate in his yard is what inspired the Peter's Yard logo that we still use to this day. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Uh, so yeah, Peter's Yard, I think most people imagine, might imagine, is something made up by marketeers. It absolutely wasn't. It was created by Peter and a friend uh, who was a graphic designer who then created the logo. Fab. So I think people see these brands that are available in supermarkets like Peter's Yard and sometimes maybe quite negatively assume that they've come out of a an office room somewhere or they've been just dreamt up by a, a, an, an agency. But actually hearing that you were there, you went around Sweden, you went to Peter's house, you saw the gate um, in Peter's yard. It is really, really lovely to hear. It must have been so strange for you in those early days that you'd gone from this big corporate world with big offices, international offices and lots and lots of colleagues to suddenly being a very small team. What what on earth was that like? <laughs> That's such a good question. I really, really missed not having an IT department. <laughs> I still do. <laughs> um, but, oh, gosh. It couldn't have been more different, really. Um, It was just Ian and me. So for quite a few years, actually, we really wanted to make sure that we had something that we felt was going to be a success. So we didn't want to employ people and then let them down. Um, So Ian and I, and I have to say our families, really did all of the work in the first few years. We've gone on since to have an absolutely fabulous team who are doing a brilliant job now. But to begin with, um, for example, we 
sourced the crisp bread, which we had found. We then went to Peter's uh, Bakery Cafes in Edinburgh. He said, look, this is a lovely idea, but it's really hard to make it work here in Edinburgh. And so for a while, we kind of backed off the idea of the actual bakery cafe coffee shops, but we loved the crisp bread and just thought, gosh, there's nothing like these. So we asked Peter, when are you going to take these crisp bread into national distribution? And he said, I don't know how to do that. And Ian and I looked at each other and we said, we do, we know how to do that. So Ian sourced the product from Peter's Bakery initially, but it was all in plain plastic bakery bags. And so his daughter, Anna, uh, helped to apply the labels in his garage. And I literally took product to anybody I knew whose view about food I really respected. So I remember setting up a meeting with Simon Burdus, who was heading up Fortnum Mason's buying. And I just, I don't want to sell you anything. I just want to come <laughs> and ask your opinion and to check with you whether you think this product is as good as I do. And it was quite interesting because... Simon said, nobody's done that. Everybody comes and sells something to me. And I said, well, I can't sell it to you because we don't have enough product. So I really genuinely am just interested in your opinion. And that was fantastic because he loved it, gave me a lot of confidence and said, as soon as you have this product available in sufficient quantity for us to stock it, we'll stock it. And that was the same um, with numerous other buyers who I went to see. And looking back, not trying to sell anything to begin with, but actually getting around and talking to a lot of people um, like Patricia from La Fromagerie, you know, just really lovely cheese shops and buyers, Selfridges, et cetera, because they all felt the product was so different. They were all happy to list it. So, yeah, there was Ian actually labeling with his family products in his garage. And I ended up <laughs> doing sampling in Fortnum's and John Lewis food halls and things. So there was a, a lot of traveling down to London for me from up here in Shropshire. And you just felt going back to why I wanted to do it. Although it was hard work, you could tell when you personally had made a difference. Yeah. yeah. So when Ian managed to find a way of us making the product in the UK um, and making it to the same quality and high standards, that gave us a supply chain. When I got a listing, then we started selling. Yeah. Our first sale actually was to Martin Wishart's restaurant in Edinburgh. And Ian kept and framed the invoice because we were so excited that we were actually getting paid for something that we'd, we'd made. Uh, so, yeah, it, was, it felt very real, if you know what I mean, because literally every day at the end of the day, you could say, did I sell anything today? Did I, did I create something? Did I design a new... Um, label or get a new listing. And that's really what I was missing from a big corporate job. And I think the same for Ian. So yeah, very different, but really exciting. I have this really lovely image of you kind of driving driving down to London with a boot full of crisp breads and, and taking them in and asking these people to try them. And what a lovely way of introducing some really important brands to your product by simply asking their opinion on it. It's genius. It's really, really, and it worked so well for you. I might start to uh, see if I could do that with my podcast. <laughs> Will you just listen to this and see what you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, we did this just last year. We were involved in the production of a recipe book called Smorgasbord from Peter Child. And in the back of it, I had the opportunity to just 
write a few thanks. And uh, the publishing house said, it's like saying thank you at the Oscars. Think of it like that. <laughs> and it was lovely because I was able to put in there, you know, thanks to some of the people who had believed in us very early on. Um, so those people that I went and saw actually will get a mention in the back of the book. <laughs> That's lovely. How long was it from the the point that you were meeting with Peter to the point that you had that first product for sale? Just so that we can get an idea of that time frame. Yeah, it was um, it was probably a year and a half to to two years actually. So we spent a lot of time initially getting the idea of the bakery cafe concept together. And then we moved to importing crisp bread and then actually recognizing we did a little bit of just sort of like a test market importing. And then when we realized that it was selling really well, then we needed to look for UK production. So the product is exactly the same now as it was when it was originally made at Peter's Bakery in southern Sweden. Um, Same recipe for the original. We have gone on and introduced a few other recipes since then. But it did take quite a few years and just a little bit like the whole philosophy for food that takes time, tastes better and is better quality. We didn't really want to rush it. Ian and I were not sort of young people at the very start of our career, desperate to rush Mm -hmm. into trying to build something fast. We wanted to build something that we were proud of. That's one of our statements that's on both our desks, that whatever we do, we want to do something that makes us proud. And, you know, of course, that means about a successful business and a quality product, but also recruiting people when we knew we would definitely be able to retain them, uh, putting in place training programs, development programs. So we just decided to take our time. um, And that included actually a very clear plan to establish the brand in independent retailers first. So we went out to, again, I can remember pretty much all of the phone calls to lovely farm shops and trekking off to Ludlow sort of food centre and, you know, various different lovely places that I knew our Mm. product would work in. And we didn't, we deliberately didn't go knocking on the door of Ocado or Waitrose or any of the supermarkets because we wanted to prove to ourselves that a premium product made really well had uh, legs, if you like, and wouldn't just be a bit of a one-hit wonder. So we stayed selling the product just to independents and the sort of speciality end of the food world and restaurants mm. uh, for two or three years before we went wider into wider distribution. And in those instances, we set out to hope that those people would come to us rather than us having to knock on their door. And that happened having been in the John Lewis food halls, just two of them. The lovely, lovely uh, buyer there said, you've now got to a stage where I have to tell Waitrose about you because you're (laughs) you're top of the category and it would feel wrong if I didn't tell them. So that made the introduction to the Waitrose team really easy. That must have been such a proud moment. We just can't keep you to ourselves any longer. (laughs) We have to share this with the world. Exactly. No, it was lovely. It was really, really nice. And actually we've had... All of the relationships that we've had with uh, independent trade partners or with the grocery partners, they've all been uh, just really strong. We, something I learned at Cadbury that there's no point in selling. What you need to do is build something together. Um, because we were really 
changing the category. There was nobody really in Savory Biscuits who was introducing something that was crafted and really, really well made. It was a bit, we always, it's not just us that say this, we've been told many times, including by the guys at Fever Tree, that we're a bit like the the fever tree in the mixer world. If you're spending lots of money on really good products like cheese or smoked salmon, then why would you put it on something that's a bit pasty or sort of wrestles with the flavor of and competes with what mm-hmm. you're serving mm-hmm. it with? Um, so we were able to take that idea to all of the customers who ultimately stocked us and the category has grown in value as a result. Um, so it's never felt like a battle, a sort of head-to-head battle. We really love working in partnership uh, with anybody who is good enough to to list our products. So what you're saying here reminds me a lot of what Christopher Mayer said on uh, the episode I recorded with him with his brand Sublime Butter. So Sublime Butter similarly are trying to do a really, really excellent quite different, almost disrupting the dairy aisle in a way, This these flavoured butters to have with steak because the same the same principle, isn't it, that you have such a wonderful product as, a say, a really nice piece of cheese or a really decent steak. And then you've got to think about what goes with it. Otherwise, it's not doing anything justice on the plate. And it really reminds me of what he was talking about in that episode. So I will link that in the show notes for people if they haven't listened to it. Because I think that that fits quite nicely with your your um, your thoughts on that as well. Yes, it sounds very similar. Very, yes, yeah, very similar. And also, also delicious. I think maybe a bit of sublime butter on, on one of your crisp breads would be perfect. <laughs> now I think about it. Absolutely. Or, or- or indeed, um, Manny Life or uh, Bath Cheese. Yes. <laughs> they all work well. <laughs> Brilliant shout outs. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the crisp breads. We've talked quite a lot about how the business started and the, the ethos that you have behind what you do. But I want to talk about the actual product itself. So sourdough is is absolutely key to your recipes. Do you have, um, or does Peter have a, a starter with a name? Is it is there any history there? Is it an old starter? I know people are very particular about these things. Yeah, we, we are too. We'll have to think about the name. So many people ask us that. We haven't got a name, but maybe we should have a naming ceremony at some point, <laughs> an anniversary or something. Um, but no, it, it is a really precious Sado starter that does date back 45 years. Wow, um, that's, that's old. It, it is. And it's kept like a member of the family. I mean, for anybody who knows Sado, obviously it is a little bit like a child or a, or a person um, and needs to be fed flour and water, which we do constantly. We keep it in a a big tank at the bakery. And in fact, it's so precious that we have got some held in other locations. Uh, So if there was ever a a fire or problem at the bakery, we have got something which we could bring back into life. But we do genuinely believe it's at the heart of what makes our product different. So there are quite a lot of well, we're quite flattered by them. Quite a lot of copies of Peter Shard. We've been asked by almost every grocer to do own label for them. And we don't um, because we really want to ensure that we can continue to put the very high quality ingredients and time into baking. Um, so our sourdough ferments, we make it in batches and each batch ferments for 16 hours in order to develop just the right flavour. Um, we keep a very careful eye on the temperature 
uh, so that you get just the right kind of notes. You don't want it to be too hot. It can go too sour. If it's not warm enough, you don't get the lovely bubbles. So believe it or not, just the simple ingredients that come from sourdough, flour, organic milk, honey and salt. That's what's in our original recipe, uh, which dates back to the start of our journey and is still our most popular recipe. And it's just such simple, humble ingredients. But when they're made properly with the additional ingredient of thyme, you just get a lovely, multi, rich flavour, but not so strong that it competes with anything that you serve it with. Um, and I think there's also there's the look of the product, which we hear from people uh, is really important. So if you're serving, mm. if you're a Michelin-starred restaurant serving a cheese board, you want the product to look good. And again, one of our quality standards is it has to be the right colour, golden brown. It has to have the natural curves that you get from what is an artisan sort of technique and the products are all hand-baked. So our bakers keep an eye on them to see how they're looking in the oven and when it's just right, then they'll take them out. But then if there aren't enough bubbles, then the product is rejected. So for us, the the quality isn't just the flavour, it's also the sort of aeration that gives you a little bit of a layered bite and the look of the product. So yeah, we couldn't dream of making a product that didn't include Sado. So mm. absolutely, we've created a lot of new products since 12 years ago, including a completely new range that we just launched uh, last autumn, which is um, like crisp alternatives that are a baked snack in a bag with lovely ingredients like cider vinegar and Anglesey sea salt. Those are also baked using sourdough. So every product, no matter where we take our innovation, the starting point is that sourdough starter, which doesn't have a name. <laughs> I can't believe it's not got a name, but it certainly sounds like it's very, very precious and, and rightly so. I'm going to hopefully say this word correctly for my next question. So with, okay, here we go. <laughs> Kanakabrut, is that right? Kanakabrut <laughs> has existed. Yep. I'll, I'll go with Kanakabrut. that. Um, yep. So Kanakabrut has existed as a foodstuff since the 1500s in Sweden. And yet Peter's Yard continues to have this really modern look and feel to it. How how do you do that? Is it your kind of expertise as a as a brand marketing genius? Is it to do with the the packaging? Because it does have that really modern, I think, very sophisticated modern look to it. Well, thank you. I'd love to pretend it was marketing genius, but no, <laughs> I give all of the credit for that really to to Peter and to the history as well. Because um, you're right, Connecticut was basically used as a dry form of bread that was made during harvest time in um, over the long cold sort of winters in Sweden. And it was made with a hole in the middle so that you could put it on a pole and hang it up in the ceiling away from uh, vermin or anything else and often above a fire to keep it dry. And it would last really well and does last really well that way. So just like so many Swedish foods, it's a way of preserving something. So the history of that goes back a long way. And all of that rich history is preserved in the simple ingredients and the sado uh, starter that's used as it would have been way back then. But the modern uh, feel for the brand definitely came from Peter. So when we first went up to Edinburgh and walked into 
the first uh, was now several bakery cafes. That's a different story, maybe for a different podcast. Mm. Um, but um, the decor was all beautiful furniture. The color schemes of any of the cushions that were in there are all the colors that we now use still to differentiate our different recipes. Uh, as I said, the gate and the lovely dark bluey gray color of the logo, all of that existed when Ian and I first met Peter. And the whole Scandinavian Swedish aesthetic of let the material, the produce, the ingredients do the talking, you know, don't dress it up, just start with the very best and it will do the talking. That really came I would literally would say to any designers, once we moved on from it just being a tiny team to working, again, with pretty small businesses initially, independent designers, but I would just say, come with me to Edinburgh. I'm going to show you the bakery cafe. Look around. You'll get it instantly. That's the the tone of voice and the sort of brand positioning uh, that we want to capture. I, again, with this nice addition of if product is made in a bakery with love and care and time, then you're likely to take more time savoring it and enjoying it. And that is so precious. And the funny thing is, that's more precious over the last 12 months than anything, just you know, missing that opportunity to be able to choose and select lovely food in order to show the people you care about that you've taken time to choose something for them that means that they can relax and enjoy a meal with you. So, I think that's that sort of message is so relevant at the moment. But yeah, I give all credit <laughs> to the modern Scandinavian feel to the colours and the, um, the whole sort of brand positioning to Peter. But, but we have also, Peter is still involved in the business. So he's still an owner of the business and on our board. Um, and we have just changed the pack designs really for the first time in in 12 years. So we've had a refresh. The logo's had a tiny tweak. I don't think most people would even notice it. And the colours are exactly the same as we had before, but there's a, a fresher kind of look to the packaging using artists' imagery of the product. And again, it's just to kind of pair things back and say the product speaks for itself. Fab. So I'll have to have a look look out for that. We'll send you some. We'll send you some. <laughs> Oh, even better. Um, it must have been an absolute dream for you with your own interest in interior design as well to just, I'm just visualizing these really beautiful Scandinavian. Oh, lovely. And and yeah, it's so relevant um, with, with the last 12 months. And I think people are, are ready now, you know, everyone's tired and we're, we're ready to be back in the cafes and to be cooking for our friends and family. And I cannot wait. We moved into our house a year ago and and I'm like you, I love feeding people. I love kind of entertaining and we've had no one. No, My mum came to stay for um, a week in October and that's been it. So I'm absolutely really looking forward to being able to welcome people and have these big, exciting dinner parties and cook for lots of people again. Oh, me too. And, and in fact, just as a very side sort of story, Ian and I ultimately, because we loved the idea of the bakery cafe so much, when Peter decided to move back to Sweden, uh, Ian and I and, and the fourth partner on the Petersjard side is John Lister, who owns Ship to Mill Flour. We use his flour uh, in everything. Um, and so the three of us bought Peter's business. So we now have the bakery cafe chain that 
in wanted so much at the very beginning of the journey. We renamed it Soderberg. It's exactly the same business, but we didn't want to muddle up the two brands. Um, and that's been thriving. But obviously, through the last 12 months, that's been difficult. But the team there have done an amazing job at doing takeaways and deliveries. So again, mm. we can't wait for that team to be able to open up the doors oh, again wonderful. to people. Absolutely. Seeing as that we're on the topic of, of eating, if you were to have a three-course meal where Peter's Yard Crisp Breads played a starring role, what would you have? Mm. So in some ways that's easy and other ways it's hard because we've worked with so many brilliant food writers and chefs and as I said, recently went through uh, the whole process of producing a, a book, which is about Swedish food, not just about crisp bread. Um, but so there's lots of lovely recipes that Signe Johansson has developed for us. But I think I'd probably start, well, first of all, I'd have to start, I'm cheating. I'm going to go for a, a pre-three-course meal and have our, our new bites with a gin and tonic. <laughs> so I'd start with that. Um, then I think we have a really lovely recipe all of these actually are on the website um that rosanna mcphee developed for us which is an aubergine pate uh with feta and that would be lovely on the seeded flatbreads um if you wanted it to be served for somebody who's vegan you could just take out the feta but that i think would be a nice starter and then we have um just on a lovely video uh with gil Meller and his hot smoke trout on our uh, wheels. So we do a sort of nod to the history that we were talking about. And we have um, the original recipe in like a wheel with a hole in the middle. And he used that in a recipe that was videoed for us during the, the lockdown, but all socially distanced. And that would be my main course. I love trout or salmon with our original recipe. The rye just seems to work so nicely with it. I can imagine that the crisp is quite nice with the, the soft fish. Imagine that that would work quite nicely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And then I genuinely, if I was going anywhere to a restaurant, would have cheese. It's always I've got a real savoury tooth rather than a yes. sweet tooth. So I would follow it up with a cheese board. <laughs> um, and there I'd probably have the, the I love different uh, different recipes with different cheeses, but a particular favourite would be a blue cheese, a salty blue cheese with a... Uh, fig recipe it's just the sweetness of the fig and a salty blue go so well together um and i love goat's cheese mm. and i think the goat's cheese white of a goat's cheese goes really well with our charcoal and rye crisp breads which are really black oh i knew you were going to say that i knew you were going to say that yeah <laughs> I am also a hugely savoury tooth person and I absolutely love those charcoal crackers with a really, have you had the um, Little Lily by White Lake Cheeses? That's an incredible goat's cheese and it's almost dripping in the middle. Oh, it's stunning. Oh, no, I'm going to have to try that. That sounds just right up my street. It is. And, I, and as you started saying it, I thought she's going to say the charcoal crackers. <laughs> Great minds. <laughs> it's almost like a brie style goat's cheese with that kind of bloomy rind that you get. But then when you cut into it, it's it's almost runny. Oh, and on those charcoal perfect. crackers, it's absolutely perfect. Honestly, I was I just knew it. We were so in tune. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds perfect. Really lovely. So yeah, I think I think that would be my 
my three course meal. That sounds fantastic. Do people ever use them in, in a sweet capacity or do you find that it's mostly savoury that, that the crisp breads work best with? It's mostly savoury. I mean, the, there are sweet tones in quite a number of the recipes, including the original, because that has honey. And then the spelt and fig has fig paste as well as fig. So they do have a, a sort of underlying sweet and savoury flavour. But overall, um, we have steered at the moment towards savoury. But Claire and others who've worked on the team keep work, trying to work out when we're going to launch these. Um, we'll dip our original res, uh, recipe crisp breads in really lovely dark chocolate and then sprinkle it with sea salt. That and sounds that great. Absolutely fabulous. Um, but uh, but that's something we're using. It's sort of treats when we meet each other <laughs> rather than something that's being launched. <laughs> that's a great idea. I think maybe people at home might want to try that. But I think, yeah, as I said, I am very savoury toothed like you, but I do like dark chocolate and I love salted, you know, salted caramel, as long as it is properly salted. I want chunks of molden kind of floating around in there. Yes. <laughs> and that, that sounds yeah. delicious. You'll have to try our sea salt flatbreads if you haven't, because those have got big chunks of Helmon Anglesey sea salt and they're real little flavour bomb when they hit hit your tongue, you know, you just get that hit of salt. It's lovely. Oh, that sounds great. And as usual, we are recording. I always find that I'm recording as it comes towards dinner time. <laughs> and then whoever I'm talking to starts talking about all these delicious things. And I'm sat here, like when I was talking to Hugh from Bath Soft Cheese, and it was about six o'clock in the evening and my tummy was rumbling and he was telling me all about these cheeses. And I was like, no, I, can't. <laughs> I just want to eat so much cheese. <laughs> His, I listened to that podcast. It was a lovely story. Again, you know, nice to hear somebody who's gone from a very corporate world back into a, a business that was much more family. It's lovely to hear. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, he had some really, really fun stories. I think he was sunbathing on top of the tractor as the tractor was driving across the field with nobody driving it was the thing that got me. And obviously, I don't think <laughs> he lets his children do that, but that's what he did when he was um, a teenager on the farm. Anyway, Lovely. let's get back to the crisp bread. So we've mentioned quite a few places already, and we've talked about the fact that you have a very good relationship with independence. But if people haven't tried Peter's Yard before, where where should they go? Where can they where can they buy your crisp breads? Okay, well, first of all, that is actually on our website. There is a little store finder. We can't be absolutely sure that it's bang up to date. So I'd always say to people, if you're making a special trip, have a look there, but maybe give them a bell. But we think we're in about 2,000 independent farm shops, delis and cheese shops. They, they tend to be serviced through um, wholesalers. So we don't always know exactly where we're stocked in independence. Um, but they do such a brilliant job. And I love encouraging people to shop locally. So we have that little service on the website. But in addition, uh, Waitrose, Sainsbury, Whole Foods, Booths, uh, all stock our range. And if you prefer shopping online, then there's a Cardo, Amazon or our own online shop at the website petershard.com. Brilliant. So there's no excuses, listeners. You've got to go out there and go and get some of these crackers. <laughs> if you haven't, then yeah, what are you waiting for? Wendy, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you tonight. And I feel like I say this every single week, but I feel like we could probably have kept talking for another couple of hours. Um, thank you so much for persevering with me and and 
being able to join me for this chat because I know we've been back and forth a little bit but I'm sure the listeners will agree it's been really worthwhile so yeah a huge thank you no thank you very much I've really enjoyed it Alex thank you for giving us the chance to share the Peter Shard story 